she loves that window and 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 she'll come in and she'll if she if she we see her we start heading toward the window to close it and she put one and one together oh, they're closing my window and she'll run and race us so she could get to the window oh i don't doubt it whatsoever we have one cat who wants to go outside as soon as she hears someone approaching the door bam she's right there trying to get outside it's so funny. It's just like they, it, it's how they put this together. And it, it, animals are very smart. All animals, and they are. It they just think differently than humans. But it's not that they're not intelligent. They're very intelligent. <laughs> it's just really funny. I mean, it's, it you know like there's cultures inside animal. I love watching nature shows. And there's actually cultures inside animal kingdoms, like lions have a real culture, and so do like orangutans and um, elephants. Um, it's it's so fascinating to watch, um, and it's it's like the women rule the roost in the elephant world. I'm like, go elephants. <laughs> Yeah, that's right. Go matriarch. Yeah, yeah, it's really cool. If uh, a a boy elephant starts getting too rowdy, the matriarch will kick him out of the group. She doesn't really want to, and they keep an eye on it, but uh, especially if it's uh, like a teenager. But there's no choice because they can get the other children hurt. Exactly. And I thought, uh, but it's, these are elephants, you know. People say, oh, they have pea brains, but really, they don't. They're really no. smart. <laughs> they are. They are. Isn't that interesting? I just think it's fascinating. People poo-poo animals, and you shouldn't, because we're part of the animal kingdom, too. And people, we're every, everything on this planet are connected to each other. Stop poo-pooing stuff. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, put put you in the middle of the jungle with no nothing except yourself and see how long you survive. Exactly. That's yeah. why they had to create these cultures. I mean, and lions are really interesting. Again, uh, there's certain lions that are male-dominant, but really the women own the group. <laughs> They they own the territory. <laughs> the the males come in as sort of like um, they kind of like are what do you call it? Like they come in to intrude into the female territory uh -huh. to to have their way with the girls. Um, and the 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 matriarchs will fight the male uh, lions to uh, protect their uh, their sisters or their children. <laughs> It's really and then move on. Yeah. Yeah, and then go away. And but the interesting thing is is that there are male lions that come become part of the group but because they're mated to the female lion that's the matriarch. And and they and that's usually true. they end up being the babysitter while the females go out to hunt. That's also true. Yes. It's just, it's so interesting. I I I love it. <laughs> see, see, the cats aren't very much different than the house cat, is it? <laughs> no, just a lot bigger and 
quite a bit scarier. Much more deadly. Yes, definitely. Yeah. But it's really interesting. Do you do you like nature shows? Do you watch them? I love them. Yeah, absolutely love them. I would much rather watch that than some family sitcom. It's really interesting. When I was a kid, I love sitcoms. I grew up watching all of them, you know, I, from I Love Lucy to Barney Miller to Bewitched to That Girl to all, to all the way up until Friends. They were all really good. And then after the millennium, it seemed like people forgot how to make a sitcom. They're just not funny. Yeah. They're no, not everyone funny. is yelling. Everybody is rude. They're, I don't find them particularly relatable. There's not a strong moral that's being presented. Um, no. I don't know. Maybe we're getting old, Sherry. Um, that's probably, <laughs> yeah. But it's just like uh, one one of my friends, well, maybe it's because they talk about sex. I go, they talked about sex in Golden Girls. You know, they talked about sex no, in, in yeah. uh, Murphy Brown. What I love those mm-hmm. shows. What are you talking about? Yeah. <laughs> uh, they did it with class. Well, maybe not Golden Girls so much, but <laughs> there's a way to talk about these things that you can still make it classy. You, it, 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 the thing is, is that the sex was part of their lives, but it wasn't everything. They, they didn't just, even friends, it was part of their lives, an important part of their lives, but they talked about work and they talked about, you know, uh, trying to find a home or they tried, they, they talked about other things. It seems to me that it, all they want to do is either be rude to each other or talk about sex or, or find somebody to have sex with. I just don't think it's funny the way they no, write it. No, it's not. No, no. It's, I agree. It's only one part of life. <laughs> I it just I I and I it's like they forgot how to make something funny. Yes. Yeah. They think that they have to be rude in order to be funny, and that rude is funny. But there's so much more to funny than just than just that. Well, there's good writing that helps. Exactly. Bingo. Right there. Uh, we, we need really good writers. Um, it's not that the actors aren't good because the actors are good that they have in some of these shows are really good because um, I've seen them in movies and other shows. It's it's the writing. It, it's it's the production. Um, it's the person who's the showrunner. That's who's missing what's funny, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Because if you I don't, agree. if you don't have that, you don't have a show. At least that's the way I see it. I mean, and you you're right. Correct. You're right. I'm old. <laughs> <laughs> no, I said getting older. I didn't say old. I said getting older. There's a difference. I just um, I grew up watching. I mean, I was during the generation where sexuality was coming into TV so I grew up with that so it's not the sexuality and it's not um, talking about different, I love that they bring in different people and different uh, types of um, ethnic backgrounds and, and religious backgrounds and things like that that's good it's that they don't talk about it they just talk about other stuff, and it's the way they write it. It's not funny. That's what I mean. If you're going to do that, write a drama. Mm-hmm. Drama's yes. a lot yes. easier than comedy. 
drama, what, what the, the comedy, dying is easy, comedy is hard. I think uh-huh. Edmund Dean uh-huh. said that. I can't remember his name. One of the great uh, actors from old, 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 old days. <laughs> but um, yeah, comedy is not easy to write. So if you if you don't know how to do it, you shouldn't be doing it. Yeah, yeah. Um, so what is your, you're a writer, so I'm going to, of course, ask you, what books did you like to read growing up? Oh, my goodness. So, uh, I loved reading. I'm glad you asked that. I loved reading, and this is bizarre for a kid, eight, nine, ten plus years old, historical fiction, biography, and autobiography. I don't know. I have no idea why, but I just have always loved other people's stories and real events from the past. I can relate to that. Um, But mine has a little twist. I grew up with um, one parent who was a reader. Well, two parents who were readers, but my my father was more a reader. My mother was more a movie person. Uh Uh So I kind of like biographies, but I like biographies for theater actors and film actors and TV actors. Sure. <laughs> and sure, writers. And writers. And I love to find, I, I was one of those kids who you, you read, uh, you, you watch a show, a TV show or a movie, and I wanted to know everything in the background of it. I wanted to know who wrote it. I wanted to know about the actors who wrote, uh, acted in it. I wanted to know what the background is in the story. I wanted to understand it. I mean, I I I found out everything I could about Agatha Christie when I was about twelve. But that's great, you know. That that that's great. So many people they'll just read through something with no appreciation for all the stuff in the background, all of the detail, all of the nitty gritty that makes it great. Yeah, I'm kind of also a behind-the-scenes junkie. Um, You know when you get a DVD and there's a whole section of behind-the-scenes? Yes. I I watch that first. (laughs) Yeah, 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 yeah. That's my... No, it's interesting that you... Yeah, it's great that you bring that up because uh, the book that we're going to talk about, my book, is, is was created almost exclusively because of all the things I discovered behind the scenes, so to speak. I think it's fascinating. I love to know what puts stuff together. I love to know why uh-huh. people do something. Um, sometimes you'll never find out. I mean, like Jane Austen. Jane Austen, I've read every uh, biography and auto... No, not autobiography. She write a bi- autobiography. But biography and... Um, and um, books of the time period, and and I like to read who the author likes. So if she likes a certain author, or Agatha Christie likes a certain author, I got to read that the authors that they like. I'm really weird. <laughs> Nobody's weird. Everyone is just unique. Well, that's kind of weird. Uh, I can't help it. <laughs> But I do. I've always been that way. Um, I, oh, like I said, uh, Ellery Queen and all the Agatha Christie books I loved, and I had to find out everything. I, 
and I knew what uh, other people who were watching the TV series didn't know, that there are actually two people, that there isn't really an Ellery Queen, and that there's two people who write it, and that they're cousins, and I would go back to school um, on Monday after I saw it Sunday night and tell people, and they're like, who cares? I, can't. Uh-huh. I do. <laughs> that's right. You do. Yeah. <laughs> but that, that's that's the kind of uh, weird kid I was. Uh, when you were um, when you were reading these books, were you like you said you like biographies? Was there a certain type of biography you liked? Well, um, n- not recent biography, more in in the distant past. Uh, I was I started taking music lessons as a very young girl, and I wanted to read more about the composers that I was studying. So here I am, I'm reading about the lives of Mozart and Beethoven and Bach and. Uh, not not exactly current events, but nonetheless, that's what really intrigued me. That see, that's what I mean, you know. When I got when I started reading Jane Austen or or um, Louisa May Alcott, I wanted to know everything about their time periods. I mean, yes. that's part of yes. the fun of it, at least for me. Um, I agree. I understand. <laughs> but yeah, I had a um, when I was a little girl, I. Um, I, I I was told I had a good singing voice by one of my teachers, and she put me into choir, and that was fun. And then when um, we were in a different state, um, we moved back to California, long story, um, and I went into, um, they didn't, I wasn't able to go into choir right away, because I, I came back, so I, I didn't have any kind of showing that I could sing. So I went into the glee club, which was a class. Now, that teacher was really brilliant. She gave us music appreciation, and you had to read the books and do the work in order to pass the glee class, even though it was supposed to be just singing. We were singing, but we were learning about all the great composers. I mean, you know, like you were talking about, even uh, Liszt and... and, um, all the great composers from the uh, from the ancient times to Gershwin, and we had to we had to read the books and take a test. No, that's fabulous. And as a result, when you went to sing the music, then you know more, and the music is better. Mhm. Yeah, but I thought it was clever. Even as a little girl, I thought that was clever. Yes. I thought, what a what a smart teacher. A good teacher, yeah. A good, not a lazy teacher. A good teacher. Yeah, and it was because it's also. Um, I think, like you said, uh, it was it was it was Glee, but it was really music appreciation with Glee on the side because we did sing every yeah. every class. But I mean, she took the first uh, twenty minutes to a half hour of class just to talk about whatever composer we were working on that week. No, that's wonderful. I think that's fabulous. I even remember her name, Miss Lloyd. She had the longest hair. It was went all the way down to her butt. <laughs> I was fascinated. I, I go, why doesn't she sit on it? 
because I was just like she, her hair was so long and she and she wore it either up or she wore it down she wore it either way but when she, she wore it down she never sat on her hair and I'm like how does she do that she was used to it she knew it was there she worked around it <laughs> yeah she was a really cool teacher but did you have somebody like that? Was you have somebody who inspired you to um, want to look into everything and, and expand your knowledge? My uh, first piano teacher was uh, a Japanese lady, and she was of the age that during the Second World War in Japan, in North America, as you probably know, when Japan was was not part of the Allied group of nations. Japanese citizens in both the United States and Canada were put in concentration camps in Canada and the United States as well, I believe. And my piano teacher was a young girl when she was in these, these North American concentration camps. And uh, I, I had so much respect for her and, and love for her, and she taught me so much. I've never forgotten her. I think it's fascinating. Um, I've heard younger, well, they're not younger, now they're old. But um, at the time, people that were young, uh, George Takei, Jack Su, talking about that period. And mm -hmm. one thing, Jack Su, he never let it, I mean, he, he, I think it made him more compassionate. You know what I mean? Yes. Really you know, you would think it would be the opposite, but for many people, uh, especially if they came out of it, right? Mm -hmm. If you come out of it, then you see the world from a different viewpoint altogether. And you vow not to be like the people who put you where you were. Exactly. And it, you become a more compassionate, empathic person, empathetic person. I think so, too. I think it's really, it's, well, I also love the Jack Sale. I'm, there, I can point to every part he ever played and, and show you how brilliant the man was. Even in silly movies. Um, <laughs> but he was just such a brilliant actor and such a nice man. It, when he passed away, I was a big Barney Miller fan, and he was a very important part of Barney Miller. They actually did a tribute to him um, at the end of the season after he passed away. And one of the things they said is there is not one person that works on this show that didn't admire and absolutely love Jack. That's saying something amazing in show business on a set of a, a, a very popular sitcom that, you know, there's... He was never in, embroiled in any kind of argument or any kind of, he was always loved. That's a big thing. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. And so it's a mature individual on, on every level. Yeah. So he's, he's one of the people that went through that, that I really, really, oh, and Robert Ito from Quincy, too. I heard him talk about it. Um, he, there's people like that that go through that they come out more compassionate you just have to love them for sure so when you were um, learning from this lady did she teach you uh, any kind of um, it, it, I'm trying to figure out 
how did she bring you into the world of looking stuff up and reading books about the composers, or did she just inspire that? Well, in Canada, when you take piano lessons, you have to write exams, and part of the exams are um, doing that kind of research from as early as being 12 years old. So <laughs> it's one of these things that's is like vegetables. It's good for you, and you're going to do it, and you're going to get tested on it. So, yeah, not a lot of choice, but in my case, I loved having the choice of being able to, to study about the famous composers. I, lo- I, I think that's fascinating. I, I, I love getting a wide... A d- look at all the different kinds of people in the world. Did that uh-huh. open you up to looking at more people that, you, you know, open you up to the wide world and different cultures and different ethnic backgrounds, different religions and all that? Well, our small town of Esteban, Saskatchewan, which is nine miles north of the North Dakota border, like you could literally you could walk to the United States from where I grew up. We would go shopping at the Kmart in Minot all the time. <laughs> so this small little rural town in the middle of nowhere, it was two hours from the nearest other town, and we had people from all over the world. My parents were immigrants from Holland, and in my in my school we had people from literally almost every corner of the globe so it was normal for me to grow up in what we call a multicultural background i just thought nothing of it I and mean, people had funny names everybody spoke different languages and we all played together and everybody just had sort of the same quality of life and it was i never thought anything different it was perfectly normal for for me and for my friends as well in a larger city, probably not the same, because what happens in a larger city is people form pockets of communities of their own ethnic background. But outside of a big urban center, you're all thrown into the same village, and you all get along. It's interesting you say that, because when I was a little girl, I was raised in a suburb um, in uh, an area of Los Angeles called the Valley, and I was raised in Granada Hills. And... Our little section of Granada Hills had every type of person you can possibly think of. Every culture, every religion, every uh, ethnic group. It was like mush-mish-mish-mush. So I never really thought about that, um, differences of that kind. Because everybody, as long as you like me, I like you, we're good, and that's that was the whole basis of everybody's friendship, you know? Exactly. Yes, exactly. But um, I, uh, when I was nine, we moved back east, and I was in a place in the Midwest where they didn't have those attitudes. And that was a culture shock. I thought that was normal until I moved there. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yes, yes. Um. So it's so it's so strange. It's like that you you don't know when you're going to get the realization that not everybody thinks that way. But when you do, wow! And sadly, you know, when it happens and and it happens to most people when they're children, you lose a little bit of your innocence and a little slice of your childhood is gone when that realization enters your life. That's true. It's sad, and, and it did, and and. It was. I'm not going into it, but it was a very bad time for me when this happened. I, it was um, pretty serious. Um, 
And so when we moved back to California, I was relieved. Um, I lived in the Midwest and the East Coast, and both of those places, the areas we moved into, the actual area we lived in was good, but where I went to school, it wasn't. And and this is both these places. So when I came back home, it was like relief. Yeah. It's not that California is perfect. We are not. There are some places that are very bad, but it's just, the area of California I lived in was much more tolerant. Uh-huh. And that's good. At least you had that experience. If you'd had only the negative experience, you wouldn't know that the more positive one existed for you. Yeah, I think it's good that that happened first. Yes, for it, sure. Because that formed pretty much my my idea of um, other people and other stuff. Because I'm really open-hearted. Um if it happened the other way, I don't know what would have happened to me. I don't know if I'd be the same person. Mm-hmm. Yeah, poss- possibly you may not have been. Yeah. But I think because of your gentle nature, you would have found your way to who you are, regardless. God, I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go with that. Okay, yes. that's, that's a nice idea. That's a nice theory. <laughs> um, what books did you like to read when you were a kid? Um, I in Canada. I mean, I read um, the Anna Green Gables books. I loved the Little House on the Prairie books. I loved Nancy Drew books, uh, and, and I liked Reader's Digest condensed books. We had like a whole wall of them, and, and I learned a lot about world history and, and individuals by going through the Reader's Digest books, kind of one by one in the summer growing up. I liked the Reader's Digest too. My grandma had those, and we would go to her place, and I. I would go through her, she also loved, my grandma loved to read anything. She was an incredible reader. I mean, and sometimes, I don't know if she always knew what she was buying. Like, um, my, she was pretty square in some ways. But she had the book, The Carpetbaggers. <laughs> and I was a high schooler, and I'm going through her books, and I knew what it was because we were studying it in class. And I looked at my mom, I go, Grandma has the carpetbaggers. And my mom goes, big deal, she gets that kind of stuff all the time. <laughs> hey, there you go. Grandma was young once too, you know. Yeah, I know, I know. But it was really, I was stunned. <laughs> this is all about, I mean, carpetbaggers pretty much is all about, you know, uh, romance, sex, and all kinds of stuff like that. And there was some violence and stuff like that. I just... But then the, it actually made me respect Grandma even more. I already respected her, but even more, because she was reading something like that. <laughs> she was reading something real. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but yeah, you, you learn a lot about your, your your parents when you see what books they have. <laughs> this is true. This is true. Um, it's just kind of funny. But yeah, I, I mean. All our family are readers. Are all your family readers? Um, my parents were readers. My mother was a reader, for sure. There were two languages in our house, Dutch and English. So we had a lot of Dutch books, a lot of English books. Uh, my one brother is, is a lawyer, so he does a lot of reading of a different kind of a nature. So, yes, you know, it grew up before television. So radio and books, this is, this is what you had. 
I think it's interesting. Um, yeah, my dad and my mom telling these two TV generation kids about growing up with the radio and sitting in front of this big radio because they were big, you know, the radios back then, and staring at the radio like it was a television while they were listening to their different TV shows, or TV shows, sorry, radio shows. The, the funny thing is, is all those radio shows that they were listening to as kids became TV shows later. <laughs> uh, yeah, very true. I mean, uh, Jack Benny and um, my favorite wife became I Love Lucy. Life with Elizabeth uh, was made into a TV show with Betty White. Um, the Great Gildersleeves was made into a TV show. All of the, a lot of the radio shows were made into television shows. Milton Berle, his TV show was made into a TV show. I mean, his radio show was made into a TV show. And now I'm confusing myself. Um, but don't you think it's interesting that most radio radio came from vaudeville and uh vaudeville shows became radio shows and then that even translated even better when the television came because they could show all the kind of routines that they had from vaudeville in the TV show that they couldn't show in the radio show but they kind of projected out of the radio which shows how talented these people were Hmm. I've never actually thought of that, but that's a true sequence of events. But isn't it interesting that, you know, and, and people just don't understand that today. People think that TV, radio came cosmically of its own, TV came cosmically. No, they came from theater. <laughs> yeah, and you're absolutely right. You're, you're absolutely right. I've never quite thought of it in those terms, but most definitely. And it's just really interesting. When you were a kid, is there a um, a TV show that inspired you or a movie that you saw that inspired you to work on? I, I get inspired for writing from something like uh, a movie or a TV show. Not taking the idea, but just my own idea and, and going off with it. Did you ever have that? Well, I really loved the television shows once we got a television show that were available for us as, as young kids. They were just so great, so much fun. I don't, I wouldn't say that I was inspired by them, but I was excited and entertained and enthused by them. So uh, is there one specifically that did that for you? Do you know I loved uh, Mary Tyler Moore? Oh, I did too. <laughs> I loved Mary Tyler Moore, and, and I loved Gilligan's Island, and I loved I Love Lucille. That was a little bit, well, it was more my mother's generation were, you know, really watching I Love Lucy, not me so much as a, as a child. But uh, when I'm a little older, you know, Mary Tyler Moore, I just thought it was just so great. just wanted to be like her. Yeah, I wanted to be uh, Anne-Marie and that girl and Mary Richard and yeah. Mary Tyler Moore show. Yeah. Those were the two that inspired yeah. me the most. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I always wondered how Anne got that apartment. She was always getting fired from her regular jobs. Uh And she had Uh the best clothes. I mean, at least with Mary Tyler Moore show, it made sense. She had a steady job, even though she was always, you know, having problems with her, her finances. She always had the best clothes. 
Yes. Well, you know, if you can't do much, at least you can look good. <laughs> but, yeah, you think about it. I mean, um, it was interesting because I was listening to um, an old show uh, interviewing Valerie Harper, and she said that Rhoda was actually inspired by one of the makeup people. The You know, the scarf around her head and the jewelry and the vintage clothes. Yeah. One yeah, of the makeup yeah. girls were like that. That's what she and she's like, oh, that's a really good idea. So a lot of okay. she, she went from schlumpy to creative by doing that. <laughs> did not know that. That's a, did not know that. Now I do. That's cool. I know. Is that cool? I that the, I mean, if you think about it, it makes a lot of sense because the makeup and hair Peter are some of the more creative people. In, in television of course they theater. Are. Yeah. Yeah. So I thought, yeah, that makes sense to me. <laughs> she even said her name, but I can't remember. Um, but uh, yeah, it, even Rhoda's famous headscarf that she always had that she tied, I always try to do that where it was tied in the back and the flap was under. And it was like sort of this weird little headscarf that she was wearing. <laughs> And I think I think that was from uh, a um, like some way that black women would wear their hair, and it, it and this girl got the idea from it and thought it was pretty, and so she did that, and so Valerie got inspired, so she did that, <laughs> and then everybody was doing it. Yeah. No, it's just it's just kind of funny um, because it's, you don't know where something comes from. And when she was explaining the whole thing, it was like it's it's, it's like it, it was like cling cling cling. You know, all the change coming from a slot machine. <laughs> That's right, putting it all in place. Yeah, really interesting. Um, so uh, my next question is a very important question: When did you start writing? Uh, well, I my grade four teacher said I should be a writer, so that's I've always remembered that. I loved writing small stories. I wouldn't even call them short stories; they were like mini stories as as a child. Uh, and I'm also a composer, so writing music, writing stories, writing books. One is with sound, and the other one is with words. I believe there's a lot of parallel parallelism between the two of them. But then, of course, you know, life you have you have kids and you. Have work and all this kind of stuff so uh it's only been in the recent year and only specifically because of, of what the book is about that i've written a formal a formal book as opposed to just you know dabbling just because you enjoy it and you have a bit of a natural talent for it so what inspired your your book um well my uh um my mother was a very secretive person, highly secretive person, and I knew some of what she would was holding secrets about her life during World War II as a as a young teenager, and uh, I discovered later in life that she had a Jewish mother and Italian grandfather, but her Jewish mother was the only one out of her family of nine that had married outside of the Jewish community. 
so as a result, their lives during the Second World War was impacted, and the entire family was, was lost, except for a handful of undiscovered relatives and my mother's family, saved by nature of her Italian father. So when my mom passed away, which is now almost six years ago, uh, I had the, the freedom to actually look into the family because prior to that, it was, don't you ever tell anyone, don't you ever tell anyone. You know, she was terrified that it could all happen again. So as a result of many, many years over the last, well, not many, many, but over the last five, five and a half years now, the things that I discovered about my family that were lost, I started putting into an historical fiction novel type uh, of, of book, and it just grew and grew and grew. Kind of started just so that I could record the things that I had learned, just for myself, pass on to my children. And then it turned into something else. It actually turned into the, the, the book that it is now. So it was a real adventure. It's, it was a real adventure, and the end result of the adventure is, is quite astonishing. And um, so what made you make it into a book? No, that it was like the most relatable form. Yeah, I mean, that's an interesting question because a, a lot of, you know, I didn't want it to be just statistics and dates and facts and information because even though we're talking about really challenging, horrific times, people get, uh, people kind of go a little bit glazed eyes over a bunch of dates and statistics. So turning it into a, a, a novel, a uh, historical fiction book, it's much more relatable. When somebody reads it, they can they can find themselves in the lives of these people as opposed to something that they're supposed to study about in some 12th grade history class. I didn't mean they made you do it. I just came out that way. But um, and usually there's like a journey that you go through when you, when you begin to write something like that. Did, did you go on any kind of um, a journey yourself? in order to write the book? Oh, absolutely. So uh, as, I, as I began working on my family's genealogy, I tripped over all these relatives that, that I knew nothing about and what happened to them and, and you know, where they were during the war and, and the end, how their, how their lives were, were impacted. So literally kept tripping over more and more and more. And one of the things that I also discovered which my mother had alluded to was that we had multiple sets of twins in in our family, like a crazy amount of twins. It's like some genetic disposition to twins. So that's kind of a thread that runs all the way through as well. That's interesting. So are you a twin? No, but I wish I was. <laughs> no, I'm not, and I didn't have twins, but I, I'm. Uh, maybe there's still hope. There might be some twins in in. In in my future, through my own kids, who knows? Who knows? <laughs> yeah, um, there were twins in a, a, a part of our family too, but not our actual branch. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but they're there. You know, they're there. That's cool. Yeah, it's interesting. I actually uh, went to high school with two pairs of twins, and their names were always like they always had names that kind of rhymed with each other. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not. I'm not gonna say who they were, but like um, uh, Camellia and Petunia. No, that doesn't rhyme. Sure, <laughs> something like that. Yeah. Yes, yeah. But you know what I mean. 
I just I, I couldn't I could I was trying to think of somebody and all that came into my head were the real people and I was trying to think of somebody else and it just wouldn't come. Um, <laughs> um, but it's just one of those strange things about twins. They're always like similar names, Jim and Tim. Yes. Yeah, you can't help it. You know, you can't help but help uh, give them similar names and, and dress them similarly. Um, so tell us about your book. Tell us what, um, what the actual uh, storyline is and characters and all that good stuff. <laughs> Absolutely. So the the book is a mixed genre. So this is one of the things that does make it quite unique. Uh, it's a blend of stories I was told, um, either directly by people or by my mother. And then it's a blend of, of stories that are completely fictionalized based on the, the, the time period in which these people lived. And they're all related. And they're all related to me. Every character that I write about is a direct family relative. And I trace that as well. So um, it starts and it goes back and forth. It jumps around. So it's like my journey as I discover these people. So in one chapter, I'm I'm like 14, and then I'll jump back in time to a relative. There's one of my great 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 aunts who had a set of triplets over four days. Can you imagine giving birth to triplets in 1840 over four days? the lives of women in that time. So, and then I will jump back to when I'm 18, I go to Holland for the first time, and I discover these these before unknown Jewish relatives. And then I, I'll, I'll go back in time again to a set of twins or having a birthday. So I create this these stories that are based on true stories. And some are, I know all the details and other ones, all I know is the names of these people and when they lived and where they lived. And so I would imagine stories around them. So it's an interesting, it's an interesting uh, genre. And then also contained in the book um, are, are all the lists of twins and, you know, where they lived and how old they were and how we're all connected and what happens to them. And of course, Hundreds of them, Sherry, literally over 1,000 of my direct family relatives were killed in the Holocaust. And, you know, and, and I try to make the story um, not just just horrific, but also there's humor and there's, there's sorrow and there's joy and, and binding it all together. So it's a different type of Holocaust story in that I, it's, it's not really about the Holocaust about these people who had normalized before and how all of a sudden the war came and just ripped their lives apart. And the very, very few, the, the very few, like out of those over a thousand people, there's maybe less than 10 who came back and survived. And I met one of, I, I met this, this one second cousin of mine who as a three-year-old was given away to the Dutch underground and that's how he survived. And I met him and his son, had twins so there's all of these amazing family threads that are all connected even though so many were lost the ones who remained how we've kind of found each other and and rebuilt things and and uh, trying to keep this uh, um, story that's not just my story but is a story of so many other other families as as well so I don't know if that quite answers your question that was a bit of a, a ramble but um, 
that's sort of what's behind the book and how the book is is written. Yeah, that's that's something that people don't really seem to understand is that everybody who is affected by the Holocaust was leading normal lives before this thing descended yes. on them. I mean, absolutely, absolutely. They were just they were flower keepers, or they were seamstresses, or they had a butcher shop, or a fruit market, or they sold flowers. They were, and you couldn't tell one from the other. You couldn't tell. They didn't look any different from anyone else. They'd been in Holland for hundreds of years, completely assimilated into into Dutch society. Some of them had no idea that their grandmother was was Jewish, and and yet they were then branded with a, a Jewish. Um, background, even though they themselves didn't even know, didn't have anything to do with it. So there's a lot more there than most people are aware of. Um, and I know that there are, there's people who deny it even, ha- it even happened or who downplay its impact. And um, this book kind of brings it in, in into perspective of these are ordinary people leading ordinary lives, and this is what happened to them. Yeah. I think it's really sad. Um, I mean, I have a lot of family who are killed too. I mean, it just you, you, yeah. And it's interesting um, when my mother was in her, I think she was like twenty one or twenty two. She decided to go from Rhode Island to California. To she actually was going to come and work, but she changed her mind once she came here because she didn't have any support um uh the people she was moving in with didn't help her like they said they were going to anyway uh on the way she took uh back then they took trains across the country they didn't fly even though airplanes were uh, you could take an airplane much more expensive and much easier to take a train um yes yes but um on her way, she met a lady that she really got along with very well. She was a Holocaust survivor, and uh, she owned a deli in L.A., and they became family friends. She was the first person I ever met from the Holocaust. She was a very nice lady. Um, but um, my mom sat next to her on the train and saw the, the tattoo. It was, I, if yeah. I remember right, she was from Auschwitz. And they just started talking and um, my mom told about the family they lost and everything anyway um, it's there's so few survivors now it's very important that like people like Steven Spielberg has the um, the film of the survivors talking um, because of the deniers that you were talking about Um, it's and and people like yourself writing books about their own family, even though it's fictionalized. Um, it, it it's so important to bring that stuff up. Do you feel that um, is that one of the reasons you did it? Was because you wanted to make sure that the information was out there? Well, n- not to start because when I first began, I had no idea, and it was only through the discoveries that I made that, wow, you know, this still, there are still stories to be told. There are still people who need to know. There are still generations that have never heard. So it's still important. There's still room for family stories and for other stories. And, and my story is based on true stories. So it's it's not 
it's uh, based on true stories. It's fictionalized, but it's all based on true stories. Yeah. Um, okay, so we're coming to the end. Could you tell um, how people can get your book? Also, oh. if you um, are going to be online or at, uh, at a convention or a book signing or anything like that. Absolutely, Sherry. So the book is available through any and all online retailers, Amazon.com, Scribd, Barnes & Noble, a bunch of smaller ones, uh, throughout the world, both in North America as well as in Europe, Australia, etc. Uh, so it's easy to get your hand on either a hard copy or an ebook version. And uh, as far as with COVID, there's no there's no book signings or or anything like that. But hopefully that'll happen in the in the future. So, and the book is called Discovering Twins, and it's written by myself, Stella Terhart, T-E-R-H-A-R-T. I do have a website, stellaterhart.com, and uh, I, I am honored when anyone takes the time to read a book of this nature because, you know, maybe it's not the most, it's not the genre that people are going to jump into, but for anyone who is interested or curious or uh, has a sympathetic soul, I believe there is a lot to learn that they will never have heard before that I write about in my book. Okay, that's, I, I'm sure there is. Um, um, also, do you have a website, and what social media are you on? Yes, my website is StellaTerhart.com, just my name, .com. And you can find me on Facebook. I, I'm not a big social media gal. I, I'm an organic apple farmer, actually. That keeps me really busy during anything except for the winter. But you can find me on Facebook. You can find me also on Instagram and Twitter and LinkedIn. So I do have a presence in all of those expected social media presences. And if you write me, I'll write you back. Terrific. Um, I want to um, thank you for coming on the show. I hope you enjoyed it. Oh, thank you so much, Sherry. It was wonderful to chat with you. Thank you. And thank you for chatting, Sherry. Yeah.